welcome to The Rounds Table, a weekly podcast about major new research in medicine hosted online at Healthy Debate. I'm your host, Amol Verma, and this, this is our last episode of the year. Thank you all for listening through the year. Uh, we've had a great time putting the podcast out for you, and we hope you've enjoyed it as well. Through the summer, we'll be playing some of our tried and tested favorite episodes to jog those memories of yours, and starting in the fall, we'll be back with brand new content. This week, we're going to end the season exactly how we started the season, which is with good stuff recommendations from some of our brilliant medical students. So first, you'll hear from Anthony Marr of St. John's, Newfoundland. Second, from Annie Wang here at the University of Toronto. And finally, Emily Hughes, also from the University of Toronto. And finally, just before they get started, I want to thank everyone who's been involved with the rounds table from the team at Healthy Debate to our own team of students and co-hosts. Uh, it's really been a great experience working with all of you. Okay, uh, take it away, Anthony. Hey there, Roundstable listeners. I'm Anthony Marr from Memorial University of Newfoundland, and I'm back on the podcast this week to share my good stuff recommendation. Happen to be a fan of comic books? From blockbusters like Deadpool and the X-Men series, the characters featured in comics are hard to miss nowadays. So what better time for the world of medicine to weigh in on how these characters look and behave? Published in JAMA Dermatology, my recommendation offers a fun take on possible medical explanations for these characters' features. Here's just a few examples. For blue skin characters like Mystique from X-Men, we might consider certain drugs that are associated with blue-gray pigmentation, like hydroxychloroquine or amiodarone. How about the Hulk, a well-known comic book figure? Acromegaly might be on the differential diagnosis, supported by the Hulk's increased size and spade-like hands. This is a fun read, and one that connects medical concepts and diagnoses to aspects of popular culture. That's all for now. I hope to see you all on Twitter and Facebook, where I'll be helping to spread the word about our episodes. Hi there, I'm Annie Wang, and I'm a medical student at the University of Toronto. My recommendation for this week is a collection from The Atlantic entitled Personal Stories of Abortion Made Public. This ongoing collection contains stories from readers openly describing their abortion experiences. The inspiration for The Atlantic to have this collection is the U.S. Supreme Court case Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt. For this case, a group of lawyers filed a brief containing their personal experiences of having an abortion. This case was decided on earlier this week, with the Supreme Court ruling to overturn a Texas law. This law required abortion clinics to have surgical facilities and for physicians that performed the abortions to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Many believe this restrictive law is why abortion clinics closed in Texas. What I find especially powerful with the Atlantic collection is the raw and unapologetic way the readers read about their own experiences and their own views from both pro-choice and pro-life perspectives. Check it out and let us know what you think. Hi, I'm Emily Hughes. I'm a medical student at the University of Toronto. Two Globe and Mail articles caught my eye recently. The first, How Canada Got Addicted to Fentanyl, 
and the second, Alberta widens access to life-saving fentanyl antidote. Fentanyl is prescribed as an opioid pain medication and anesthetic. It is incredibly potent, and a few hundred micrograms, less than the weight of a grain of salt, is enough to give the user a heroin-like high. However, the line between euphoria and fatality is very thin, an amount the size of just two grains of salt can kill a healthy adult. According to the Globe article, ordering fentanyl online, notably from China, is as easy as ordering a book. Buyers are assured that there is no reason to worry about the package not getting past border security, since Canadian border guards cannot open packages that weigh less than 30 grams without the consent of the recipient. In response, the governments of BC and Alberta have employed a harm reduction strategy, widening the availability of naloxone, an opioid antidote. Specifically, the government of Alberta has made naloxone available without a prescription, and Alberta pharmacies will be allowed to give the drug to friends and family members of individuals at risk of overdosing from fentanyl. So what do you think? How can we combat illegal importation of fentanyl? And is it time for the rest of Canada to widen access to naloxone? Let us know on Twitter, at Roundstable. The Roundstable is hosted online by Healthy Debate. You can find us at healthydebate.ca slash theroundstable. Follow us on Twitter, at roundstable. Or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundstablepodcast. Thanks for listening.